Hello, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. We're so glad you can be with us for this time. We're recording this program on Wednesday, May 25th, 2022, for broadcast this Saturday, May 28th. And we usually like to do these programs live, but I'll be out of town for a Bible conference in Cleveland this weekend, so uh, I have to pre-record it. My name is David Canfield, and I'll be your host for this hour. You can visit us online at thechristianfaith.org. That's thechristianfaith.org. And if you have any comments or questions, either during the program or later this week, you can send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. So, in these early editions of our program, as we said before, we're considering how we as the believers in Christ should come to the scriptures because the scriptures are the basis and the unique authority for our faith in Christ. And so we have to have a proper view of the scripture and of a proper consideration of how to come to the scriptures. And what we've stressed is that because we live in such a challenging times today, uh, we need to have an uplifted view of the scriptures. So that's what we're trying to do in these early programs. We're trying to uplift uh, the believer's view of the scriptures and encourage the believers to be in the word in a much more serious way. And how we've started to do that is by considering, first of all, how Jesus came to the scriptures. Because if we're his followers, then we need to come to the scriptures in the same way that he did. And what we saw when we considered this, uh, we considered this in two aspects. First of all, how did he view the scriptures in general? And when you look at uh, Jesus and his testimony in the four Gospels, we see that he strongly affirmed the integrity of the scriptures. There are no lost books of the Bible. They haven't been corrupted. Uh, Over and over again, he stressed that uh, we need to come to the scriptures as our authority. He constantly was using this phrase, it is written, uh, or asking the, the, the religious leaders of his day, have you never read? Uh, He never had any doubt about the integrity or about the authority of Scripture. He never gives any indication that there was any other revelation given by God to mankind outside of what we today call the Bible. And, of course, in his time he was referring to the Old Testament, but uh, the principle applies also uh, to the New Testament. Jesus never gives an inch of ground to the view that there's some other source for divine revelation that we can come to. It's all contained in the Scripture. And as for how he came to the Scripture... Uh, we've seen that he was a literalist. He took uh, the events recorded in the Bible as historical accounts of what happened in past history. Over and over again, he refers to these, such as uh, the creation of Adam and Eve, uh, the flood of Noah, uh, uh, Daniel the prophet, all these, uh, the, uh, Jonah being in the, in the belly of the great fish, all these he took definitely as historical events. So that's how we need to come to the scripture as well. Um, Jesus told Nicodemus, if I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe, how are you going to believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? In John chapter 3, verse 12. And so it's very important for us to have this fundamental, basic understanding of the scriptures, that it's a strong foundation on which we can base our faith. Uh, That's the way Jesus came to the scriptures, and that's why we need to come to the scriptures too. Uh, And we also began to uh, cover in the previous program Uh, some lines of attack on the Bible that are specific to our time. And we, uh, the one we covered in the last program had to do with the young earth theory. And this is a theory, it's it's put forth by well-meaning Christians uh, and they believe the Bible, uh, but they 
teach something that's not taught in the Bible, which is that the earth is 6,000 years old. And that's been something that uh, Satan has used to really frustrate people from coming to the Bible because the scientific evidence, and, and I'm, not, I'm no scientist, I don't profess to be, uh, but the scientific evidence uh, overwhelmingly indicates that uh, the Bible is far, far older than that. Er, sorry, the, the earth is much, much older than that. And so people say, if I take the Bible in a literal way, does that mean that I have to believe the earth is 6,000 years old? And as we discussed, no, uh, because there, there's ba just very briefly, there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And that understanding of that uh, uh, gap is called the gap theory. It was put forth in the 1800s. So in other words, Genesis 1-1 is a standalone verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The young earth view is the rest of Genesis chapter 1 explains that verse. But actually, no. We would say, those who hold this view, that Genesis 1-1 stands alone. And then there's an interval. Uh, we simply don't know uh, how long that interval is. But there's a long period of time before Genesis 1-2. Uh, the young earths, earthers would translate that as the earth, the earth was formless and void. But it's also possible to translate that verse as the earth became formless and void. Uh, and so, no, and, and again, we're just reviewing here a little bit, but we just want to stress, no, you don't have to believe the earth is 6,000 years old to uh, take a literal view of the Bible. And we get into a little bit, we talked a little bit about that at the end of the previous program, and we're probably going to get into that more in depth uh, in a future program because it's a very important topic uh, to consider. It really needs a, a further consideration. And uh, my thought was, uh, there's a couple other lines of attack that we need to deal with, uh, so just so we can be established in the faith. I mean, these aren't things we, you know, we prefer not to have to get into them, but given the situation in today's world, we, we really don't have a choice. But before we go on uh, to deal with those, I just felt, since recording the last program, that it would be better first to continue with more consideration about the Bible itself. <clears throat> Because when we're more grounded in the positive, then we can go on and deal with the negative. And so we will, we'll, we'll, we're going to uh, set those aside for a little while. We'll come back to, the, to, to these other topics. But right now, we just want to begin to consider something more about the positive aspect of what the word really is. And then we'll, we'll go on, as I say, and deal with the negative. You know, Jesus was incarnated. Uh, he, he was God incarnate. And uh, the, the entire God who became a man. And when John, in the Gospel of John, when we see, when it talks about the incarnation, it speaks of him as the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1, of course, is a very famous verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwelt there in the, in the uh, Greek, is, it's very interesting. It's actually, uh, the word is literally tabernacled. Now, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, it was, it was a big tent. And the tabernacle among the children of Israel, that's where God dwelt. And so John uses this word regarding the incarnation of Jesus. What he's saying is God now, in, in the Old Testament, God dwelt in the tabernacle. Not, now God, in the New Testament, was dwelling among men in the person of Jesus Christ. It's just a wonderful picture uh, of, of, of the incarnation and of what that really signifies. But what we want to stress is that John speaks of the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Well, Jesus is the incarnate Word of God, 
And the Bible is the written word of God. The incarnate word of God came to us 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ. Today, what we have in our hands is the written word of God. And that's how Jesus so often comes to us today is through his written word. And so we want to begin right now by considering how the written word in so many ways is so similar to the incarnate word of God. And that should, again, really help us to appreciate the incarnate, uh, the written word in a much more profound way. So first of all, when Jesus became a man, he was not, uh, uh, he didn't come down in some kind of glowing form. You know, if we, if we had planned the incarnation, that's how we would have done it. We probably would have had Jesus, he would have come as a man full grown on the earth and he would have had this glow about him. Right? Never would have said, this is the Son of God. It would have been clear. He wouldn't have had to put up with a lot of the stuff he had to deal with as a man, right? But that's not how God did it. God had him <clears throat> born in Bethlehem. Then he was laid in a manger, very, very lowly birth. Quite something, the difference between how the heavens treated Jesus and how the earth treated Jesus. There was no place for him in the inn, even. He had to be uh, laid in a manger after he was born. But the angels were singing his praises in the heavens. Really something. You can see, wow, what a, what a different view of who this one really was. Um, but, but in himself, he was just this lowly little baby, just like any other man. He had all the same needs that we do as, uh, as human beings. He had to eat. He had to sleep. Um, he had to drink. Uh, he had all the physical limitations that we do. If you look at him, you would have said, this is, this is just another man. In the same way today, when you come to the Bible, it's not, there's no you know, like glowing coming out from the pages. It wasn't given to us on golden leaves, right? Some, some uh, 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 people uh, in their, their religions, you know, the, the Mormons like to say that the, the, the angel uh, showed uh, their, their guy the, 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 these golden, the scripture on the golden leaves and he, he copied it down. But the Bible didn't come to us like that. It was written like any other book uh, on the materials they had in those days, parchments and uh, vellum and other things. If you look at it, you would say this is just another book. Well, again, it's the same. It, 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 it's just like Jesus in that regard. But it's just like Jesus. People realized with Jesus, yes, he's a man like any other man, but there's something different about this man. He has something no one else has. There's a life in him. There's a there's a glory in him uh, that just it's just we just don't have. Uh, and that's John one four when it says he when it, after, right after it talks about. Uh, the the word being with God, it says, in him was life. It's like John wants to stress to us in his gospel, God wants to give us this life. And so when the word became flesh, this life was in the incarnate word. Well, today, it's this life is in the scripture. So often when we come to the scripture, we touch this marvelous life. And that's how we receive the life. And, uh, and, and that's how very often we're born again. So let's look in Matthew chapter 13, verses 19 to 23. Uh, Jesus has just told the uh, parable of the sower, and now he's explaining, explaining it. Listen to what he says. When, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, uh, the evil one comes and snatches it away. Uh, he who receives the seed, because the sower had gone out, he'd sown the seed, uh, the seed of the word into people, trying to, trying to sow it into people's hearts. Right? It talks about the stony places in verse 20. Uh, they don't have root in themselves. But it says in 22, Now he who received the seed 
or sorry, verse 23, but he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understandeth, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. So when that seed comes into us, it produces the life that brings forth the fruit. That's how, that's how we receive the word through the gospel is by, by the word. Uh, in uh, Matthew, or sorry, in First uh, Peter, verses 23 to 22 through 25, we see the same thing. It stresses we're born again through the word of God. So let's uh, 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 look at these verses. Uh, first, again, First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brothers, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the living and abiding word of God. And Peter here may be referring back to that parable. He may have remembered as he was writing his letter. He may have been thinking about that parable. He says, we're born again through the incorruptible seed of the living and abiding word of God. Again, the life comes to us through God's word. At first, when Jesus came, became a man, it, it, the life came to us in the person of Christ. Well, today it's the uh, written word of God that conveys the life that's in the incarnate word of God into us as believers. So Peter goes on, for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which, of the gospel which is preached to you. So, uh, so again, it's the, just as Jesus, as the incarnate word of God, had the word dwelling within him, today we touch the word of the had the life dwelling within him. Today we touch the life of God in the written word of God. Praise the Lord for that. You know, in uh, in sometimes in the Bible, it's almost hard to say whether the Bible is referring to the incarnate word or the live, the written word of God. One one example of that in in First uh, John one verses one and two, the Apostle John tells us that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen. And beheld, which our hands handled concerning the word of life. Right, so there he's clearly talking about the incarnation, and he goes on. He says the life was manifested. So he's clearly talking here about the incarnated Christ. But in Philippians two sixteen, the apostle Paul speaks of the believers holding forth the word of life. And there it's hard to say. Is he speaking of presenting Christ? Uh, to the unbelievers in this dark age? Or is he talking about how we hold forth the scripture, uh, which contains the word of life, as the way of bringing men to Christ? It's very hard to say uh, which, which, uh, a, which uh, aspect of the word he's speaking of, the, the living word or the written word. Very hard to say. So there's such a close relationship between these two, especially in our experience today, when we want to touch the incarnate word of God, when we want to touch Christ as the living word of God, we have to come to the written word of God. And the fact that the, the uh, written word of God contains this uh, life is proven by the, the, effect, the effect it has on people and has always had on people for centuries. Uh, uh, ever since the, 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 uh, uh, the, the word was written down. It's just it, whenever people touch this word and they touch the life in this word, they become something different. Things happen. And just, you know, we all know the, the story of Martin Luther, how he, he struggled for many years about the, the state of his soul. And then eventually he found uh, Romans 117, 
the verse, the just shall live by faith. And uh, quoting Habakkuk 2.4 in the Old Testament. And his life was just revolutionized by seeing that one verse. And through that, the entire history of Europe was, was, was changed because this one man touched the word of God. Uh, Hudson Taylor was another one. He was a young man. He was in England. Uh, his mother was very concerned for him. She was praying for him, but uh, he, he wasn't open uh, really to the Lord's word. But in his teenage years, uh, he was home one day. And in his father's study, he, he found this pamphlet. Uh, and in, in the pamphlet, he, he read this phrase, the finished work of Christ. And that's not a, a direct uh, quotation from the scriptures, but it's a reference to John chapter 19, verse 30, where Christ, just as he dies on the cross, he, he, he cries out, it is finished. And when he saw that, suddenly he, he had the light, the revelation that the work of Christ on his behalf was finished and he simply needed to receive it to believe and be saved. And his life was revolutionized from that moment on. And he went on, he became a great missionary to China. He was the first one who really pioneered uh, the gospel into the interior of China. He raised up the China Inland Mission. Just a remarkable story of, of, of serving the Lord. One of the, the great servants of the Lord, really since the time of the Apostolic Age. Uh, he, uh, he died, I think, it was, I believe it was 19, around 1900, I'm not quite sure. Uh, he lived in the latter half of the, of the 1800s. And, uh, but just a remarkable uh, testimony of uh, service to the Lord. He founded the China Inland Mission at that time. I think it's now it's Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Uh, John Darby was another one. Um, I'll, read, I'll read a little bit of what he says. Uh, he was the uh, leader of the Plymouth Brethren. Just again, a, a remarkable servant of the Lord uh, in a number of ways. Really, a, uh, so much of our understanding of the Bible today comes uh, through his work and the work of those who were with him. So he states... Uh, he, uh, this was around 19, or sorry, 1828. He says, an accident happened which laid me aside for a time. My horse was frightened and had thrown me against the doorpost. During my solitude, conflicting thoughts increased, but much exercise of soul had the effect of causing the scriptures to gain complete ascendancy over me. I had always owned them to be the word of God. So he's saying through this time of, of struggle, uh, he came into a much deeper realization and appreciation of the scriptures. And uh, uh, he said, as he says in that last statement, he always had, had believed they were God's word. So that's one thing. Yes, I think many of us believe the scriptures are God's word. But he said eventually uh, his exercise had the effect of causing the scriptures to gain the complete ascendancy over him, as he puts it. And that's in another realm. When, the, when you really realize the scriptures really are the word of God and they have to direct and uh, 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 be the authority in your life and dominate your life, you come into a, full, a completely different experience of Christ in your daily living. Um, I can just tell you my own experience too. Um, I, uh, I was saved back in 1983 and I should, I should mention... Uh, you know, you can, if you want to see my testimony, it's, it's on my website, thechristianfaith.org. Under the media tab, just uh, look down for table talks. And I have a couple different videos that, where I share my testimony uh, of salvation. And uh, so, uh, but just to, not to go into so much detail, but, uh, but I was very interested in politics. And uh, I thought that's, you know, how I eventually would serve God. But one parable i always remember one one story rather the lord tells really convicted me about it was the widow's two mites uh, the widow casting her uh, two mites into the treasury because i wanted to serve god in politics i thought i was going to help him get the world straightened out but um 
uh, I thought, but he said, Jesus said, she had cast in more than all of the uh, rich people. And I saw that and I realized, wait a minute, you couldn't do nearly as much with her money as, as you could with their, with their money. And that's when it began to dawn on me. God, God's goal is not to try to straighten out the world. He cares about individuals. He cares about people. He cares about me. He cared about me, Dave Canfield. That was a real revelation. And just to, to let me let you know, he cares about you too. That's what he cares about. That's what he's concerned about. He's trying to bring men and women to salvation in Christ today. Uh, eventually, through that, when the Lord returns, the world will be straightened out. But that's his goal today. Uh, and sometimes we make God very impersonal. But no, he cares about each and every individual. And that's when I began to have a real turn to the Lord. Uh, the verse through which I really was saved, though, was uh, it was maybe a year or so after that, uh, less than that. Uh, but it was Romans chapter 8, verse 9. A brother shared with me. Uh, he sat down with me and asked me, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I had no way, I couldn't tell him. I had no way, I, I thought I already was a Christian, but I didn't know the answer to that question. I don't, maybe you don't know the answer. But then he opened up the Bible and he showed me Romans chapter 8, verse 9, which says, uh, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And that really uh, set me back, like I say in, in my, my testimony on, on the website, because I knew at that point, I don't, to my knowledge, I did not have the Spirit of Christ. Uh, I'd never asked the Lord to come and live inside of me. And so it was that point I realized I needed to do that. And we sat down and I prayed on a park bench with Bill. And I said, Lord, I want you to come and live inside of me. And that's when I was born again, through touching uh, the life that's in the Word again. No other book has this kind of impact on human beings. No other book comes close in human history. Some books, you, you read them and, and maybe they'll uh, help you have a better understanding how to take care of your life or the kind of path you want to pursue in life. Uh, there are those kinds of books. No, nothing comes close to uh, the Bible, though, even, even in that respect. But the Bible doesn't just deal with us in an outward way. It deals with us inwardly. It, it, it speaks to us inwardly. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses, verse 12 says the word of God is living and operative and dividing even to the separating of uh, soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's, dealing with, it's able to deal with us inwardly. Other books deal with us outwardly sometimes. Again, not, not to the extent that the Bible does, but the Bible just has a way of working within us and changing us like no other book can. And that's a proof that the, there really is a life, a divine life operating in the Bible. So that's, uh, that's one of the ways, again, in which the Bible is just really it mirrors the, uh, the, the living Word of God, the written Word of God and the living Word of God. And it contains the living Word of God. It conveys to us, maybe a better way to say to it, it conveys, conveys to us the living Word of God. So another way in which they're very similar is that Christ spoke with authority. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, 28, 29. Uh, you know, he'd just given the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he's, he tells the people, blessed are, are the poor in spirit. And he goes on, uh, you've heard in the law that it says this, but I say to you. And he goes on. And at the end of that uh, sermon, it says, when Jesus had ended all these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Well, the Bible also speaks with authority. Uh, as we've, we've stressed in the... <clears throat> in the last uh, 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 program, uh, over and over again, Jesus made it clear, this is the authority for our teaching on the earth. 
This is the authority for what we believe. He constantly was saying, it is written. Uh, have you never read? He, it's the only earthly authority he ever appealed to. So the Bible really speaks with authority, and it claims authority. It claims the authority to be able to tell us how we should live our lives, what should we be doing, uh, uh, what it is that pleases God. It surely claims this kind of authority, the unique authority, again, as God's unique revelation to mankind. And so, again, in this respect, uh, the Bible is very similar uh, to the Lord. Uh, and now, I, I felt I should say something, too, uh, about this uh, matter uh, of authority in our society today. Because, uh, you know, as, as I said, this is uh, Wednesday, uh, the 25th, I think it is, May 25th. Uh, I was actually in the studio yesterday. We tried to record this program, but we had a little uh, technical difficulty. And so I have to come back in this morning to to record it again. And, of course, yesterday, uh, I, later on in the day, we, we found out about this terrible massacre down in Texas. And it just it just breaks your heart to hear that. And uh, your heart goes out to the, to the loved ones and uh, the, the grieving families. You just don't even know what to say. Just All you can do is lift them up to the Lord uh, for the, him to come in and heal. But it just, you know, it just speaks to me that the Bible for decade after decade now has been losing its authority in this country. Uh, it used to be we could strongly say this, uh, our nation was based on the Judeo-Christian moral tradition. Well, it's harder to say now. People don't like to hear that even. Uh, and I'm, as, as the Bible has been losing its authority, it seems like this kind of lawlessness, this kind of unspeakably evil behavior is breaking out more and more. That's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. Um, we need to pray very much. And to be honest, even this program, this sharing has come out of some prayer, I feel, that the Bible and the uh, Word of God would be uplifted again in this country, would be exalted again in this country. Uh, the gospel would go forth. The Spirit would be poured out. We need to have this kind of prayer uh, that God's authority would be recognized. The real fear of the Lord uh, would be, uh, again, would be so prevailing in this land. It's, yeah, many people believe in the Lord today, but how few really fear the Lord? How many fear the Lord's Word as we should? Um, it's just, uh, it's just as, as, as that fear declines, as I say, the lawlessness and tragedies just seem to increase and you just have to weep. Uh, you know, the psalmist in Psalm 119, I'm not, not quite sure the verse, uh, maybe verse 63, says, my eyes shed streams of tears because they do not keep your law. And we should have that same kind of feeling as believers in Christ when we see these kinds of things happening and uh, this kind of tragedy. So hopefully, again, through, this, um, uh, through these programs, we can encourage believers to be in the Word in a more serious way, and that will give the Lord the ground to do more in this country and even to begin to heal this land. So we pray that he'll have a way to do that. So that'll be uh, enough for this segment. We'll come back and continue on this line uh, in the next segment. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the christianfaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. 
Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello, and welcome back. So, in this segment of the program, uh, we're going to continue this uh, line of how the Bible, in so many ways, is the written word is uh, conveys to us and is so similar to the incarnate word of God. But in right now, we're going to spend more time to uh, deal with a particular aspect, which is um, not as easy to deal with, put it that way. You know, Jesus, when he was on the earth, was hated. Uh, he was loved, of course, by those who received him, like Mary pouring out the, the oil on his head before he was buried. By, by a few people, he was loved. By, by so many and by the religious leaders of his day, he was just hated. And one big factor for that was because uh, he exposed people for uh, who they really were. He didn't, uh, he wasn't a politician. He was very um, direct and uh, ex exposing man's evil condition. So in John chapter 7, verse 7, uh, his brothers, he's talking to his brothers. They wanted him to go up to Jerusalem, and he said he was not going up yet. Uh, and he makes a very striking statement. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. And so that's why they hated the Lord. He just, he did not uh, mince words. He was always ready to expose man's fallen condition. Uh, it's not, he did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And yet to do that, he had to help people realize their need for a savior to realize that they were fallen. And as his followers today, that's part of our commitment. We have to be faithful and honest to help people realize their situation, to help them bring, help bring them to self salvation. And so that's exactly what the Bible does today. And that's why the Bible is hated. One very important reason. It does not paint a, uh, such a positive picture of man. Uh, and it doesn't give man any hope that he can work out his own salvation. Over and over again, it stresses that apart from God's intervention, apart from the redeeming work of Christ, man has no hope. His situation is completely hopeless. Um, and so, as I say, that's why that's a big factor why... Uh, why people hate, hate uh, the Bible. So I want to read uh, some passages now. This I'm reading from a book here. It's uh, uh, called Life in the Word by Philip Morrow. And uh, for the rest of the program, a lot of the points that I'm sharing are going to be coming from this book. It's an excellent book, and I really highly recommend it. Uh, it's short. Uh, it was written about 100 years ago. But, but he's stressing how the divine life is is. Uh, we find the divine life in the Word of God. When we come to the Bible, we should be touching the divine life. Uh, look at it the other way. God uh, imparts his divine life, as we've, as we've already said, through his Word. So it's a, just an excellent little study of, of this topic. 
And here, here's what he says about uh, uh, the Bible being hated. He says, the Bible is the only book in the world that is truly hated. The hatred it arouses is bitter, persistent, and murderous. It's really true. No other book in the Bible has ever been hated like the Bible. No other book in the world has ever been hated like the Bible's hated. And that alone should cause people who oppose the Bible and don't believe it to wonder, why is it? Why is it that people uh, react to the Bible like they do? It's the same way with the Lord's name. Why do people take the Lord's name in vain? It's because there's power in that name. People don't take the name of uh, George Washington or Abraham Lincoln in vain because there's no power in those names. But they know there's something in the name of Jesus, so they take it in vain. We should be those who are calling on the Lord's name. Oh, Jesus, just to, uh, just, just to taste his name, just to touch the Lord in his name is so sweet to those of us who are believers. Oh, Jesus, Lord Jesus, I just love you. Just to say his name, right? The hymn says, oh, how sweet. The name of Jesus is in a believer's ear. It's really so. There's something in that name. Well, why do people hate the Bible? Uh, again, it's for the same reason they hate the Lord's name. is because they know there's something in this book that's not in other books. No book excites the, excites the kind of hatred that the Bible does. It's really so. So, uh, Morrow again goes on. From generation to generation, this hatred has been kept alive. There is doubtless a supernatural explanation for this continuous display of hostility towards the word of God, for the word has a supernatural enemy who has personally experienced his power. And he's referring there to Matthew chapter 4, where the Lord responded to Satan's uh, temptation by saying, it is written. But for sure, there's a supernatural hatred, uh, uh, the work of Satan, who's, who's trying to do everything to cause people to hate the Bible. But li like I say, that, that fact alone of how the Bible is hated... Um, uh, just shows us that there's something particular in, in the Bible. Uh, here's another quote from Morrow that I really like. Um, uh, what characteristic is it that distinguishes this book from all other books in such a strange fashion? Has its influence upon men been corrupting or otherwise evil? Does it teach doctrines to, uh, to individuals or communities that are dangerous? Does it promote dis disorder, vice, or crime? On the contrary, it will not be questioned that its influence, wherever it has gone, has been beneficial beyond all other books combined, and that the most fruitful human lives are those which have been molded by its teachings. The problem is it declares man to be a fallen creature and his whole career to be one of mere uh, outworking of his corrupt nature on the path of disobedience and predicts in plain language what the end will, of that path will be for all who do not accept God's way of deliverance out of it through Jesus Christ. So again, that's the reason, a major reason for the hatred of the Bible, the fact that people do not want to uh, have their evil condition exposed. Now Romans, the book of Romans, to give uh, an example of this, is Romans is the great book in the New Testament on salvation. It shows us the way of salvation. But uh, to do that, to show us what salvation is, it doesn't begin with salvation. It begins with showing us and exposing us our evil condition in those first few chapters of Romans. I thought I had this marked, but I guess uh, there it is. Okay. Uh, it shows us just how fallen we really are. Only then does Paul go on to show us about salvation. So this is uh, Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through, uh, through 18. It's not a pretty picture of who man is. Um, Paul is saying our, our 
he says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable or corrupt would be in some translations. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So he has, the Bible in Romans here has to bring us to that point where we have a sober realization of who we really are. And only then does it go on to talk to us about salvation. And I'll just, because we've read these verses, I think you need to go on in, in chapter 3. Uh, because here Paul, that's where Paul begins to talk about how God offers us the gift of salvation. Um, he says that no one is going to be justified by, by the law, by the works of the flesh. Uh, in verse 20, he says, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law has been manifested, uh, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no difference. Uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So once we have that realization about who we are, that opens us up to cry out to the Lord, say, Lord, I need you to be my Savior. I need you to, to, to forgive me for my sins. And so the Bible does this exposing work, and then it does this healing work. But so many, whether before they're saved or if they they're just refuse to be saved, won't open their hearts and say, Lord, I need you to be my Savior. And that's why a big reason why people uh, hate the Bible. But, praise the Lord, there's another aspect in which uh, the, uh, the Bible, uh, the written word, is just like the living word, is that it survives every single attempt to destroy it. No one has ever been able to destroy the Bible. You know, Jesus, of course, they did their utmost to destroy him from the face of the earth. They, they put him to death on the cross, uh, but he rose from the dead with an indestructible life because there was an indestructible life in him. And now he's at the right hand of God uh, on high. Praise the Lord for that. We have, we have a, there's a man in the glory, as one of, it, one of our hymns says. Praise the Lord for that. They couldn't destroy him. Well, they've also done everything they possibly could to uh, wipe out the Bible. The Roman Empire, uh, at certain uh, points in its existence, just tried to literally destroy every single copy of the Bible that there was. And that's, that's why we have so few... Uh, early manuscripts today, but they couldn't quite do it. God protected his word. And all through the uh, 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 the last 2,000 years, so many attempts, different attempts have been made to try to do, uh, do away with the Bible or to try to limit it, its influence uh, in one way or another. But nothing, whatever people have done to try to uh, destroy the Bible, it's only caused the word of God to grow and multiply more so that today, more so than at any point in human history, the Bible is loved and appreciated all throughout the world. They just simply cannot stop it from, from growing and spreading. And that's another characteristic where we see the Bible uh, conveys to us the life because there's something of life in this marvelous written word. Praise the Lord. So, uh, so we need to appreciate, yes, uh, we need to appreciate we have uh, Christ as our Savior, the living incarnate word of God. But today what we have in our hands uh, is the written word of God, and it's through the written word of God 
that this marvelous Savior, the life of this marvelous Savior is conveyed to us. Praise the Lord for that. So that'll be uh, uh, enough for this segment, and we'll go on in the next segment uh, to see a little bit about how we need to come to the Word. Praise the Lord for that. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the christianfaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life, and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab, or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello and welcome back. Uh, as I was looking at my program notes, I realized I, I needed to add a word uh, about uh, regarding what I said in the last segment about the Bible exposing us and uh, before we were really able to come to salvation. You know, God is love. He loves us and he wants to save us. You know, John 3.16 is, says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So yes, God does love us. It's not that he doesn't love us, but God is also holy. And so he cannot simply love us in a free way without taking care of his holiness. That's a very, we don't appreciate that because we're fallen. We think God can just set his holiness aside and just love us freely and forgive everybody, but he can't do that. He literally can't do that. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 tells us God cannot deny himself. Some people feel there's, there's, there's nothing God can't do or, or their concept of God is a God who can do anything. Well, uh, God has his nature and everything he does is according to his nature. So sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a kind of rhetorical question, you know, can God lift a rock, create a rock so heavy he couldn't lift it? You know, this kind of silly question. Well, maybe that blasts away that kind of concept of God. But... Uh, in the Bible shows us a God who does have a nature and he does things according to his nature. And it's not according to our thought. People, very often, they make God in their own image. If you want to see who God really is, you have to come to the Bible. And what we find in the Bible is that he is a God who cannot deny himself. So his salvation that he offers us has to be according to his holiness. And actually, it's when you appreciate that, that's when you really begin to appreciate how much he loved us in giving up Christ his son to die on the cross for our sins because he had no other way to forgive our sins. He has to punish sin. He has no uh, 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 no other way 
to deal with our fallen situation. He, he has to make sure every sin is punished. Otherwise, there couldn't be peace in the universe in eternity. If there was unpunished sin, there could, there could never be any peace. Some people like to say, no justice, no peace. Well, that's, that's true, right? Um, and from God's standpoint, it's certainly true. There has to be perfect justice for there to be perfect peace. And that means God has to punish sin. And he does that. Um, he will do it one way or another. He's already put our sins on Christ on the cross so he could forgive us. So he lo- yes, he does love us, but he loves us. We have to understand how he loves us. And the fact that how he loves us is according to his holiness. Praise the Lord. Um, so, like I said, I just I felt after uh, sharing about salvation in the last uh, segment, I wanted to add a little bit, a little word about that. So, so far we've seen uh, how uh, uh, the Bible, in so many ways, just mirrors who Jesus is, uh, and we've seen how Jesus came to the Bible. But now, uh, I want to spend a little time to consider in this last segment of the program to consider very practically, how, how do we come to the Word? How is it that we as believers today should come to the Word? And very specifically, I want to talk about the matter of transformation because uh, transformation is uh, something that is really carried out as we're spending time in the Word, and that's what we want to see. Uh, a lot of Christians don't really appreciate this matter of transformation. We're, we, we hear much more about sanctification because we, we tend to think of salvation in relation to sin. For sure, we need to be uh, uh, sanctified in that respect. Transformation means I'm being inwardly transformed day by day. So let's look at this word in the New Testament. And again, I'm, uh, 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 Mr. Morrow has a good deal to say about this. I'm, uh, I'm not going to read that right now, but uh, in a minute, I want to come back to that. But to, just to look at it in the scripture, um, this word is used in uh, four different places. Uh, it's three different occasions in the scripture. Uh, uh, this word transformation, the Greek word is metamorphoso. Uh, and I'm not saying, I'm, I don't know Greek. I'm not sure I have that, I'm pronouncing that right. But of course, it's the word we get our, our word metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis from. Uh, so it's much more than just a change, an outward change. It's an inward change the Lord is working into our being. That's what that word signifies. So the first place uh, this word is used in the New Testament is when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, as it's called. That's that word. In Matthew and in Mark, Matthew uh, 17, 2 and Mark 9, verse 3, uh, this word is translated transfiguration because it's talking there about his body. His physical body was transfigured. That's when uh, uh, the glory really shone out through him. So Matthew chapter 17 Uh, verses 1 and 2 say, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured or transformed before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Uh, And and Mark, I think, adds the expression, is like no fuller on earth, no longer on earth could ever lighten his garments. They became just, just brilliantly shining. You know, I, here, I want to say here too, out of all those who followed Jesus, the, the crowds, the disciples, even the apostles, there were only three who saw this experience of Christ. Only a few. And today, I tell you honestly, very, very few really see who Christ is. We need to ask the Lord to give us this kind of vision. We need to seek the Lord prayerfully. Lord, you have to show me who you really are. Show me who you really are. Show me your glory so I can have a way to follow you. 
not many, not many see that today. Uh, we need to uh, really seek the Lord for that kind of vision, as I say. But that's that word transfiguration. The, the, the word transfiguration there is this word transformation. So later on in the New Testament, uh, it's used in the book of Romans. Uh, that's in Romans chapter uh, 12, uh, verse, verse 2. Uh, and here Paul is talking to the, of course, to the believers. The Apostle Paul, he says, we need to present ourselves, our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, well-pleasing to God. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable, the will of God. So in the first instance, we really see what transformation is. But here in this instance, Paul is he's exhorting us, we need to go on uh, and experience this ourselves. That's his exhortation. The same kind of thing that Jesus experienced outwardly, that's what should be happening in us day by day. And it very specifically relates to our mind. Is our mind being transformed? Uh, and, and, and we need to think in a way that's very different from what we thought before. And it's not just an, a change of opinion, but our mind is being renewed. So really it becomes a completely different kind of mind. Well, how can that happen? How does that happen? And that's what I really want to spend a little time to consider. That's what we see in the last mention of transformation in the Bible. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18. Uh, again, this is the Apostle Paul, and I'll just read the verse. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as, from, as by the Spirit of the Lord. So this is, we're transformed as we behold the Lord. We're not transformed by beholding ourselves. We're not transformed by uh, thinking, this is what I need to do. That's what I need to do. We're transformed by beholding the Lord. Um, you know, I like the way, the way Peter puts it. He doesn't use this phrase, but uh, in uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he talks about coming to him, coming to Christ, a living stone. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. The thought there really is the thought of transformation because it's Christ who makes us stones for God's building. How does that happen? As we come to Christ. So here in, in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says it's as we behold Christ, we're transformed. Well, the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is coming to the Word. He's in the whole context here, uh, you can just look at some of the verses here that uh, he's talking about uh, the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. The ministry of death in, written and engraved on stones was glorious. So the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which was being done, passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? He goes on, uh, we, are not, we have such hope, we use great boldness, and we're not like Moses. Uh, uh, verse 15, even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Why? Um, because uh, they don't realize that the Old Testament was really speaking to them about Christ. They don't realize that. And so that veil lies on their heart. Verse uh, 16. Whenever, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So when we come to the scripture, reading Moses or reading any part of the scripture, we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That's when we begin to really behold the Lord. 
right? And we touch the Lord as the Spirit in the Word. Verse 17, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, that is freedom. So it's as we open our heart to the Lord in his word, Paul is saying here, that's when we touch the spirit of Christ and that's when we behold the Lord uh, and really experience this transforming work. That's why it's so important for us as believers to be in the word day by day, to have uh, this constant beholding of the Lord. That's the only way we can really experience the transforming work of the spirit. Now here, I think uh, Morrow has a very good statement about that. And again, this is in his book, Life in the Word. Because uh, um, this is something, we need to appreciate this, this, this thought that Morrow has here. It will surely uh, repay the reader to note carefully, oh, sorry, uh, the wrong, because he, he was getting into the same passages that I just mentioned. So yes, we need to, to carefully consider those, but that wasn't the passage I was looking for. Um, here it is. Here he says, let it also be noted that the transformation is a gradual operation calling for steadfastness in contemplating the object placed here before us by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not all at once. We don't get transformed all at once. This is a lifelong experience. Little by little, as our gaze is fixed upon him, the old traits and dispositions which are unlike him are replaced by his own characteristics. And they're replaced because... His life is being imparted into our being as we behold him. This, thus the work proceeds from glory to glory. The confirmation to his image, which is God's purpose for all the sons of God, Romans 8, 29, is not accomplished as some would have it by an instantaneous transfiguration, a convulsive upheaval and displacement of the old nature brought about by uh, working one's emotions into an ecstatic state but is accomplished gradually while the believer is continually occupied with beholding, quote, Christ. There's no hysterical shortcut to the desired result, for Christ must be known from the written word under the tuition of the Holy Spirit, and the process should continue during the whole term of the believer's existence in the body. So he's strongly stressing here, this is a lifelong process. It's a gradual process. It's a daily process. And that's why it's so important for us as believers to be spending time in the Word day by day, touching the Lord day by day. We, otherwise, we have no experience, uh, no, no opportunity to experience what the Lord is speaking of here. You know, I love Psalm, I love Psalm 119. It really shows us uh, the proper way to come to the Word, to have a proper appreciation of the Bible. Uh, it's good, I think, just, to, you know, it's the longest cha uh, chapter in the whole Bible. It's what is it, 164 verses, I think. It's an acrostic uh, psalm. So uh, it goes through each of the letters of the, the Hebrew uh, alphabet successfully. I mean, maybe it's 168 verses. Uh, I'm not, not quite sure. But it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. But here the psalmist, uh, when he comes to the Word, is just, uh, just contemplating, just meditating on the Word. And that doesn't mean and, and meditating here is, is different from the way some people use that word. They, meditating to them means you, you clear out your mind. Uh, the biblical meditation is exactly the opposite. Biblical meditation is you, you exercise your mind to really focus on Christ, to focus on the word of God, and to really ponder and consider what the word tells us. So I just want to look. Uh, we just have a little time left. I want to look through some of these verses and just, uh, just uh, uh, highlight them. But again, I encourage you. It's a very good psalm to pray over as far as coming to the Lord's word is concerned. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So 
how can we hide the Lord's word in our heart? We better be reading the word day by day. Uh, I want you know I want to stress here one very healthy practical habit every Christian should have is to read through the Bible in a consecutive way, um, really a, at least every other year. But but if you're serious about the Lord and following the Lord, it shouldn't be too too much to be able to read through the Bible uh, once a year. And a very simple way to do that is to read three chapters in the Old Testament and one chapter in the New Testament every day. So that should be less than half an hour. You don't have to take a long time. You can read through them fairly quickly, but that'll get you through the whole Bible in here. That's a very, very good habit. That's a good way to hide the word in your heart. Uh, verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Uh, verse 18 of Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your law. We need to ask the Lord to open the word to us, to uh, show us what's in his word, because we, apart from his revelation, we won't be able to see much. We can study the word, but we need the Lord, like the Second Corinthians 3.18. Um, and, and all of that chapter says, we need the Lord to open our eyes to really see. Verse 27, uh, make me understand the way of your precepts, so, uh, so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. Uh, verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgment, I have your judgments, I have laid before me. Praise the Lord. Uh, so we'll just do one more here. One here that struck me this morning as I was looking at this is uh, uh, Psalm 119, verse 135. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. So isn't that just like uh, isn't that just like Second uh, Corinthians 3:18? Make your face shine upon your servant. And teach me your statutes. Again, he's saying this happens as I come to the word, as I touch the Lord in the word. So this is how we need to come to the word. And I'm a big believer in studying the Bible, learning the doctrines and the teachings in the Bible. I think that's very, very important. So I don't want to diminish that. But uh, we should also have this exercise to allow the Lord to shine in us through his word and to seek the living word of God in the written word of God with much prayer, much exercise, much meditation over the word. Uh, and then the word will have a way to really uh, do its work in our being, to transform us into the image of Christ day by day throughout the rest of our life. So praise the Lord for that. So that's uh, about all the time we have uh, for today. Uh, but I hope this has been a blessing to you. May the Lord lead you and keep you in his way in this coming week. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.